four-week series, Father God, where you really kind of dismantle those things in us that are not of you and reassemble us into the shape and the, the likeness of yourself. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, you know, we are, this is our first sermon in four, four weeks of Advent, and I want to be preface right away that it's not necessarily a Christmas Advent series, um, but it is, uh, you know, so I think it's important. And, I, you know, I'm not a big holiday guy, to tell you honestly. I just, I get in these roles, and I just don't want to upset that with, you know, um, I don't know. Maybe that's a bad thing, but, you know, be patient with me. But at the turn of every year, I know we all know this. We all probably do it. At the turn of every year, we become reflective of our own selves, and we start to think about, um, we become, uh, we have this intentional self-evaluation about us, and we sometimes create resolutions to fix the negative issues and problems in our hearts and lives, right? We we do that at, at New Year's, right? And, but, the question I have for us today is what if we we took every day we just we did we just sat there and dedicated ourselves to a deeper sort of Christ-centered life checkup you know on an ongoing basis a plan for ongoing sort of personal spiritual evaluation asking ourselves the question you know what's God doing in my soul what's God doing in my soul life on a very on a daily basis right making that a habit and making that something that we do regularly right and so throughout this series we're going to dedicate uh, ourselves to uh, to uh, to Christ in a new way in four key areas of spiritual formation. We're going to be reflecting on how we can self-feed, right, as Christians and, and grow in our spiritual lives. Self-feeding, by the way, is a sign of spiritual maturity. Um, it, it reveals that somebody has sort of gone through the stages uh, of spiritual dependence. You know, usually when somebody um, is maybe new to the crowd, they might feel sort of independent of everybody. They might say, I don't really need you. I can do this Jesus thing on my own. And then when they become convicted that they can't actually do that, they become really dependent on the church. And they might say things like, I can't survive without your input at all. And they go through the stage where they say, I need the church to feed me constantly, right? And they, they almost can't even... And, and that's a natural stage, and it's a stage that we need to go through at times. But then they, we move on to interdependence, and that's really where, where we want to get as, uh, as Christians, um, uh, where we can say, you know, I am a healthy member of the church. I am a, I'm a healthy uh, giving and receiving member in the body of Christ, and I need them, and they need me, and we all need Jesus, right? You know, over the next four weeks, we're uh, we're going to address four different areas. Number one, today, we're going to start with our interior soul life, right? Addressing the question, "How is your soul? What's going on in, in your in, in your 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 spirit in yourself?" Uh, number two, we're going to talk about our family life, addressing the question, "How's your family?" Right. Number three, we're going to talk about our active or work life, addressing the question, how's your work? And number four, finally, our missional life. In other words, how are you doing in your calling, the calling of Christ upon your life? And uh, I don't know if you know, if you ever read Francis Schaeffer, but he, in uh, in the preface to his book of called True Spirituality, he referred to, him, uh, to a problem that he labeled as the problem of reality. And it came in two parts. Finally, uh, firstly, he observed in, in, 
and those people who had fought for orthodox theology, who had fought for this right theological thinking in the world and in their lives, it didn't really translate to them having a true spirituality. And then secondly, he looked at himself, and although he had orthodoxy right down pretty well, he was a pretty smart guy, it didn't necessarily give himself a true spiritual transformative experience, right? Uh, he concluded that spirituality isn't uh, only a matter of the of the mind and the will, but it is a matter of the heart as well, right? And many of us have been involved in church uh, cultures where it's assumed the more you know about Jesus, then the closer you are to Jesus, right? Just it's all knowledge, it's all head knowledge and intellectualism. Uh, in in that culture, as a matter of fact. People value intellectualism. They value sort of a you know a power dynamic and um, and rhetoric and being able to argue well and all that kind of stuff. And cultures in which you there are cultures in which you can't really be wrong. And if you are wrong, uh, you you your your standing sort of diminishes in the crowd. We we value really intelligent, highly intellectual preachers and pastors in in those cultures. Um, confession actually goes to the wayside, given you can't show any weakness or fault in that kind of a culture. And struggles uh, in in sinful areas sort of stay hidden. They they. Uh, they um, they stay private. They incubate. They they overtake, and they come out in negative and um, unfortunate ways in the community. There, people are found out, and that's you know that's where we get a lot of these big stories of church leaders falling into into personal sin because we haven't created a culture where it really addresses all that. And the faith community isn't prepared when these things happen, given that, that that spirituality in that culture hasn't been cultivated from the very beginning. And it's to these churches, really, which Paul would would have asked, as he did the Galatians, what happened to all your joy, right? Galatians 4.15. What happened to all your joy? Isn't that a good question? Because joy is really a sign of deep connection with Jesus. It's like this byproduct of being close to Christ. Cultures like I describe here and, and what Schaefer saw as he was writing his book are seedbeds of legalism, of, of, of just living by the law, right? Uh, you know, and, and so although we want to know more about Jesus, we definitely want to grow in our knowledge of Christ, and I believe that we are called to that in the, in the body of Christ, we also want more of Jesus. And there's, there's kind of a difference there. To experience him deeply, to hear his voice, right, directing our lives. That's the art of faith, right? Part of that is growing in our knowledge of him, definitely. But the other and equally important is to spend intimate, quiet time with Jesus day in and day out to see his words actually come to life in our souls and, and become applicable to our daily life in, very, in our struggles and joys in very practical ways, right? So the, ma- the heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. We've got to remember that. So just ask yourself, and this is a good question, I think, are you only a master of speculation on Jesus? Are you only a master of speculation on Jesus? Or are you equally overwhelmed with affection for Jesus? Right? You want to see somebody that's overwhelmed with affection for Jesus, look back at that table at Kathleen. Get around Kathleen and you cannot deny the joy of Christ in her life. 
That's, it's nice to have her on staff. <laughs> I will be honest about that. So our desire in the Christian life is to rise to our full spiritual stature, right? As Jesus, or as indicated in Ephesians 4.13, where he says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, I liked this series because it follows the Philippian series we just ended in a really good way. They kind of marry together, and we're going to continue some of this talk. So we want to grow spiritually, but often we're not sure how. We're just not sure how to do it. We must understand spiritual growth isn't something which just happens to us. It doesn't just happen to us. Rather, spiritual growth is an intentional, daily pursuit of intimacy with Christ in all areas. Let me say that twice. Spiritual growth is an intentional, daily pursuit of intimacy with Christ in all areas of our lives. Right? We each uh, have a part to play in how deeply and how quickly uh, we become like Christ. Uh, Remember, Dallas Willard said, you can't earn your salvation, that is by grace through faith, right? But you can make effort towards it. I really want you to remember that because it is very important. So like a tree, we're always growing, right? We're just growing and growing and growing. And how healthily we grow uh, is another matter, right? How healthy is that growth is a different matter. In a small, you, you look at a small seedling of, uh, of a tree, you know, and, you know, it's got all the DNA which will architect its rise into this sort of giant, majestic, living pillar of a tree. And, uh, I, you know, trees are beautiful. We love them, right? I, we had a tree in our yard that had to come down and my neighbor was crying when we started cutting it down. I'm like, I know, I don't want to cut it down either, but it's going to fall in the house. Um, but, you know, when a tree starts to grow, it roots itself in the rich humus of the, of the forest floor. We see it, you know, kind of go down in there and the, the, it's, it's all prepared to grow with that DNA in it. But all the ingredients for its growth are not found just within itself, right? Water from the soil and the sky sort of feed its hunger. It's captured by leaves and feeder roots that go out into the soil, getting all this stuff, you know, and minerals in that rich earth that it's planted in, offered, you know, by the life and the death of other trees and plants all around it, sort of supply it and nurse it to its full stature. And, you know, Psalm 1 tells us that we are like a tree, like we are like a tree. In other words, we, the, you know, the water we drink and the minerals that we gather all play a part in shaping our character into the likeness of Christ. Spiritual growth, as I said, does not just happen. It does not just happen, right? Um, we each have a part to play in becoming like Jesus through our daily habits. You know, it's a relationship like any other. If I just got married to Kim and then just never talked to her, we wouldn't have much of a marriage, right? I have to work at that relationship. And, um, and I gotta admit, I, you know, I don't do it well at times, and, but we try and we try and we try and we keep doing it. Um, because it's important. These relationships are important and your relationship with Jesus is the absolute most important, um, that you have. So we each have this part to play in becoming like Christ, uh, through our daily habits, what we do day in and day out in our walk. So for those of us who have decided that um, that following Christ is the really only it's our only option to truly be human to to be a full human right 
uh, how we stretch our roots out in daily prayer, in study, in self-care, in community life, in family life, in friendship, and work, and mission, and all of that stuff is something that, you know, it, it all has to do with our growth. It all feeds into each other, right? Therefore, we really we realize that personal spiritual growth or development is intentional. It has a thought behind it. It's sort of a series of choices that I make day in and day out to be like Jesus. Kingdom choices made with both conviction in my heart and accountability in my community of faith. And that gives sort of breath to the Spirit in my life. You know, the Holy Spirit can work in me and through me as I work with Him. I, I keep in step with the Spirit. So hopefully in the next four weeks, we will, it will it'll serve to sort of strengthen each, uh, each of us in our personal journey with Christ, right? Ignatius of Loyola said, I call it consolation when the soul is aroused by an interior movement which causes it to be inflamed with the love of, of its Creator and Lord. Now, to realize that concept or His concept of consolation means we have to ask these questions of the heart. We have to sit and ask these things of ourselves. So here's a good question. When is the last time that you took a moment to sit down and take a deep breath and be quiet and allow your soul to tell you its condition? Right? Now, that is getting increasingly more difficult because typically, I mean, if we weren't in church, you guys would all have your phone in your hand. Right? It's addictive. That kind of stuff is addictive. There's stuff shouting at us all the time. Now, at one point, a friend of mine had uh, chest pains and seemed kind of minor, but they were ongoing. So he goes to the doctor and he gets checked out. And thank God he did because he found out that he had all these blockages and he had to go into emergency surgery to, to clear his, his arteries out. You know, my friend had never been one to uh, watch what he ate or, you know, exercise and all this. But after this, you know, he, he had to make a lifestyle change. He had to introduce new habits into his life. Old food had to go, new foods had to be introduced, that lifestyle change was obviously put in place by his doctor to uh, keep his physical heart in a healthy state. And these things are mirrored in our spiritual life. You know, the heart we're talking about isn't necessarily our physical heart beating in our chest. We talked about that last week, although it wouldn't be, it's not beyond it to say that caring for your physical heart may be part of your spiritual regimen, right? For instance, at one point I lost a lot of weight. I got to get back to that because I've gained some of it back, right? But I lost a lot of weight and it was not just a physical thing. It wasn't just about getting thinner, right? Uh, it was a spiritual decision for me. It really was. I had to come to grips that I had been living really in a state of gluttony, which was sort of depleting my physical being, and, and, and it had grave effects on my spiritual state in life. The decision not to eat cheesecake and things like that was a real uh, spiritual decision for me. You know, in Luke 6.45, Jesus says to us, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Stored up, right? Little by little, you're putting things in. Little by little, right? That's what that means. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. 
Think about that, right? For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Think about uh, Romans fifteen thirteen. I wish I could say, I can remember the, the I, I can't uh, remember it right now, but it talks about the overflow of the heart. Uh, great verse, right? It's just like this one. And that passage right there in, in Luke 6.45, that is sandwiched between all these wonderful little narratives that espouse wisdom, which all address the issue of the heart, right? Of, of the, it's all about spiritual formation and living out of intimacy with Jesus. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. You can't pick figs from a thorn bush, right? These are all sort of axioms describing what is real and what is true in the spiritual life. Being planted and rooted in Jesus means that Jesus comes out through us, right? That we soak him up and he comes out in, in, in the foliage of our life, if you want to, in the fruit of our life and things like that. If we're rooted in Him, we are soaking Him up and we are overflowing Him to others, in other words, right? Life becomes purposeful. You know, think about uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which I bring up in every sermon because it, it is our calling, right? And so life becomes purposeful. We can start to fulfill that calling. It becomes full of joy. You start to have a sense of humor about life. Your anxiety goes away, which is, we've said, is really important to all of us right now. We begin to get courage. And in turn, our ministry has power and effectiveness. It it changes. It's not just about Jason and his wittiness, Jason and his knowledge. It's about a power that is working through me. And that's a very different story. That's a very different Christian life. The heart we speak of, and I said this last week, is actually our mind. The gray matter between your ears, right? The heart and mind, what you feel, as well as what you say and you do, are all rooted in your thinking. You know, remember we said last week that you know, we're called to take every thought captive to Christ. And these are the reasons why. The trinity of faculties that, that God has blessed you with, your mind, your will, and your affections, originate from and share the same space between your ears. Right? It's important what you know. It is. Knowledge is important to grow in. But knowledge must translate into something deeper deeper in life, latching itself upon that person of Jesus in living relationship with him. Do I really get this stuff, by the way? No, I do not. I'm growing just like you are, right? The heart is presented, though, in Scripture as the very core of our being, in a sense, the seat of our mind and will and our emotions. However, the human heart is not portrayed in scripture as being the same thing as as our emotions you gotta understand that because everybody's made our heart about our emotions in our society right your heart is much bigger than that in the physical mind we know that synapses are formed right we have we have things that are formed as we we have our habitual life going on habits are formed affections are formed things that we bend towards things that we get drawn to things like that desires are formed and these are all healthy or unhealthy 
in many different ways. We like to say at 6-8 that everything is spiritual, from making your bed to preaching a sermon. Everything is spiritual. Somebody is beeping me. I'm going to have to turn that off. Sorry. But everything is spiritual. So taking care of your heart is to take care of your mind, which is, uh, will lead to caring for your body and your soul. It all has holistic implications as you walk through life with Jesus, and it's important. Stephen Childers, in his book, True Spirituality, The Transforming Power of the Gospel, says that there are a few traps that we fall into when trying to, um, trying to pursue our spiritual life. Firstly, it is intellectualism. Right? This is an easy trap. The intellectualist focuses, uh, is, is on the mind, not on the heart, through a set of doctrinal beliefs, right, that you affirm with your mind, and it becomes very cold. Then the second trap is passivity or emotionalism, you know, marked by the motto, oh, just let go and let God, you know, like, you know, those, those who believe that they can really do not, they can't do much or, or, or they can't do anything towards their spiritual own spiritual formation, and they simply pursue sort of an ecstatic experience. Everything's got to be an emotional experience or it's not really spiritual, right? And thirdly, there is moralism. And those, that, those are the people who wouldn't focus on the mind or emotions, but rather on the will, just on the will. You think about fundamentalists, right? Like, like Westboro Baptist Church. They're a very, very fundy church, right? Uh, even, even, you could even think in, 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 uh, terms of Islam and ISIS. They are very fundamentalist, right? They're very moralist, right? And it drives them to do certain things. Um, you know, it's, we see these groups all over the place, but it's the it's the gospel of works based righteousness, and we're all familiar with it. You know, at greater or lesser degrees, and it's probably the most dangerous of these three uh, th- these three things. It's the the person that Paul addresses when he says in Galatians three three, "Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort?" Right, so. Are you, are you relying on Christ's righteousness in your life? Or are you trying to gain your stature and your place with God and, and people through your own self-righteousness? We want to avoid all three of those traps in our sp- pursuit of holiness and spiritual formation in our lives. So we've got to care for our souls. That's our responsibility. Proverbs 4.23 says to us, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Same thing Jesus said, right? Guard your heart from everything you do flows from it. That is good wisdom that is stated in the imperative as if to say that there's no other choice for the Christian than to be living like this, than to be doing this. So what I put into my body physically, what I put into my mind intellectually and emotionally, all has impact not only on my life with Jesus, but my communal life and witness with all of you. We must ask, what habits form who we are? What habits form who we are? What eating and drinking and relationship and other habits build or break us over time? And how does that relate to our soul? And what spiritual habits affect and change us? Right? Those are important questions. Um, When I gain weight, for instance, I'm very sluggish. I'm tired. 
I'm demotivated, I'm less productive, and it comes out in my relationships, and it comes out in my marriage, and my preaching, and everything's affected. Everything around me is affected by my negative bad habits. And it's my own demise, right? It's what I do, and it's a call for change in my life. But it's not enough for somebody to come up to me and say, Jason, you need to take better care of yourself. How many of us really listen to advice of others? We, we hardly ever do, right? I have to hear Jesus say it to me. I have to be drawn into that lifestyle change, that thing that I need to address by Jesus himself. I have to, to see it written in his word. You know, and I have to be confronted by others that walk well with him. I do. I need to hear it from people. But I need the Holy Spirit, you know, to hear it from the Holy Spirit in my prayer life. Or otherwise, I'm not going to be motivated to really true change, right? A wise man once asked me, Jason, what is Jesus calling you to give up in life? What is Jesus calling you to give up in life? Not what is my wife or my friends or anybody else calling me to give up. What is Jesus calling me to give up? What is Jesus calling me to change? And I started to explore that question, and one by one, my little idols started to materialize in front of my eyes, and habits had to be changed in my life. Uh, My behaving and patterns in my private life, which aren't congruent with my relationship with Jesus, comes out on you. Although you're, you're not really cognizant of it, you may not see it clearly. I just wouldn't be in tune with the Spirit, and therefore I wouldn't be giving you my best in ministry, as I am really just not that connected with Jesus. Now, don't feel guilty if you, if you have your bad days when you're not really walking with Jesus well. That's not what we're talking about. There is grace for our mistakes, but we do want to be spiritually mature people running after Christ well. So, Out of overflow, we minister to each other. And when that flow is disrupted in unhealthy patterns, people suffer since we're only, you know, at our best when we're walking step in step with the Spirit uh, and close to Christ. So the, the daily, the weekly spiritual habits of embracing quiet times and, you know, and, and frequent prayer and scripture reading and communal worship. Like somebody said to me recently that they don't really need to go to church as a Christian. I'm like, no, where'd you get that idea? Of course you need to go to church. You need church fellowship. That's why we are taking, and I will admit, a little bit of a risk being here together during this pandemic because this is that important. It is that important. Sorry, I'm like... (laughs) But, you know... Pursuing accountable relationships, being getting to know each other and being known by other people and letting them speak into our lives, you know, and, and our missional service. All these things recalibrate and, re, you know, sort of recollect us and they reorient our fragmented souls. They let us grow. And we don't know best how to live on our own. You may think you do, but you don't and I don't. And nobody does. We don't know best how to live on our own. Or even, we don't even know best how to live through the advice of others because sometimes the advice of others is not that great of advice, right? That's why it's important to cultivate strong 
uh, friendships and accountable relationships with walking spiritually mature believers. You need those that input in your life. But even those people can make mistakes in their advice to you. We need input from our Creator. We really do. Our Creator who loves us and who wants what is best for us and knows what is best for us and, and who calls us to kingdom ministry in our lives towards other people and, you know, and needs us healthy for that, that calling and, and who has authority to direct us in our hearts. Right? We need that. Developing good spiritual habits will take us far in every aspect of our lives, whatever they may be. So you've got to care for your direction, right? In John 12, Jesus is speaking of the overflow which comes from him and, and originates with the Father in heaven when he says this in verse 50. He says, and I know that, that his commandment is eternal life. What I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So this, it's this flow to us through the Trinity of, of, of God, Right? You know, have you ever started going in one direction, confident in your path, only, fi- only to find out that you've been, you know, you've been led to the wrong place, you've led yourself to the wrong place? I built this awesome chicken coop, right, and uh, in my backyard, and I'm not a carpenter necessarily, but I'm not, I'm not a total slouch, but I, I don't do that that often. I don't really know all the tricks of the trade and all that stuff. It's not a usual activity for me. So it's always a little bit of trial and effort, effort whenever I build something. You know, and, and especially when it came to the roof. The roof is the most difficult part. And so, you know, I, I'd be confident I was building in the right direction. I'd, I'd make all these measurements and do all this stuff, and I'd make these decisions. And then I'd find out that a, a decision I made five steps back was created this miscalculation later, right? It was a pain sometimes. It would have been great. If I had like a professional, experienced carpenter standing next to me, guiding me along, right? It would have been really helpful. It would have cost a lot less too, <laughs> right? You know, we can be going along in life and confident that we're on the right path, but, the, but be totally off base, totally off base. You know, all the things, all the things that draw our attention are designed by satanic, you know, brilliance to take us away from Christ and not to Christ. So even the thing, he uses even things that are good in this world to twist them and take us away in our thoughts. And suddenly we're like, where, where in the world did I go? You know, so, uh, you know, things can be just slightly askew in our, in our, in our outlook. And we, we have this growing, widening gap you know, between us and Jesus over time. And we've seen that happen in the church. We've seen how people have just grown away, and suddenly, you know, you just realize, wow, they are really way out there. Remember the illustration of the boat a few weeks ago, right? A boat that gets unmoored, and you don't see any waves in the water. It's just still water. But there is a slight current underneath it, and it gets drawn way out. And suddenly we're like, ah, I can't get to it. And that's how people sort of drift away from Christ, drift away from the church. I don't fully get all this stuff. But I see it happening, right? So like my chicken coop, one small miscalculation here and 10 steps later, you know, my roof is an inch off or a more, you know, more than an inch off and things have to be dismantled. I have to start again. I have to spend more money on more material and all that kind of garbage. Jesus is literally our guiding carpenter sort of as we, we do our part to build our spiritual lives with him, 
right? He's standing there telling you what to do, what calculations to make, where to measure, where to cut, you know, all that kind of stuff. In Acts, Paul was convinced that he was going in the right direction. If there was ever a guy that was fully convinced it was Paul and his persecution against the church, he was a religious zealot. He was the best, the best of, of Israel, right? And he persecuted the church, but he was so convinced of his right direction. And then Jesus knocks him off his horse and blinds him for three days and redirects Paul's life and vision towards Christ himself. That's something to think about, right? Paul's life had to be dismantled and recalibrated in the direction of Jesus. And sometimes we find that we have to be dismantled a little bit. We are truly creatures of the heart. We really are. You know, all the stuff going on right now, it, you know, you think that, that people make logical decisions. Most, most of our decisions are not out of logic. They're out of emotion. They're out of our heart choices that we've allowed to, to uh, just kind of go willy-nilly here and there. Because the root issue is desire in us. And desire in us is very strong, especially when you've, you've uh, nurtured that desire on, a, you know, long, you know, for many years and you've never really given it any direction. It's not always the best directive, obviously, right? Whichever uh, direction our desires go, our actions follow. It flows out of the heart, right? The quality of the desires, the quality of the desires we allow to rule our hearts will end up leading us somewhere. And God has a place for us to go, but our souls can get off track, right? Ignatius, uh, Ignatius suggested our souls move according to the events and emotions of our days. Spiritual habits create a path for us to arrive at God's best. They, they keep our GPS on target, so to speak, amidst all the events and the emotions of our day. We need clear thinking right now. The church definitely needs that. So we've got to care for our habits, Right? Galatians 3 or 6 8 says, Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Pretty simple advice. So, cheesecake and donuts and pasta and soda, and suddenly I'm 60 pounds overweight. And I can't figure out what happened because all my habits led me away almost imperceptibly. Right? You don't see it happening. And getting spiritually dull is like that, getting, that gaining of weight. Right? It happens gradually, little by little. If you ballooned up overnight, you'd be totally disgusted with yourself in the morning and you would, you'd do something about it. ASAP. Right? But weight adds here and there in small, minute amounts. And you puff up slowly until one day you look at yourself. uh, All of us middle-aged guys do this. We look at ourselves, a picture of ourselves as we were 25 years old. And we ask, when in the world did I ever get to here? Right? Holy smokes. Like, what happened to me? Right? And you, like, cover up the mirror in your house (laughs) because you can't stand looking at yourself. But, you know, these decisions are a result of our inner life. Desires, which we, we feed, we give them things. 
in which we, we say yes to them, giving them reign in our lives. We've really got to think about that. We become our habits. We really do. Like my friend, arteries don't just get clogged by eating one fatty meal, right? They build up in minute deposits over a long period of time from all the many choices that we make throughout life. Suddenly we, we have chest pain. We have to go to the doctor and we have to go into the knife. Our spiritual lives get clogged when we choose other things over and above intimacy and vitality with Jesus, which is always available to us. There's a corporate call on us, an individual and a corporate call, to care for our inner lives, to help our community to become like Jesus. It's not just about me. It's about me with you. And uh, me and the glory of Christ in this world through me and through my community of, of believers, my local body of Christ. A call to commit ourselves to a daily rhythm of morning prayer and scripture reading and frequent prayer and evening prayer and 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 an end-of-the-day daily examine, which can change everything in our lives. All those tools are available to all believers all the time. And new habits mean a new you, and a new you means a new community. Right? A different kind of a church. A better church life. Right? Tim Keller said that there are certain warning signs. Now listen to these, uh, which we, all, we kind of always need to pay close attention to in our spiritual lives. Things like a weak prayer life. If you find yourself like not being drawn into prayer or praying about things or caring to pray about things, that's, that's a sign. Frequent struggles with feeling slighted by others. Are you too oversensitive? Do you get pissed off all the time? Sorry, can I say that? I'm not sure if I can say that. But do you just get upset all the time? You're miffed by every little thing? Look at your Facebook posts. <laughs> what do they say? Right? I, it's, it, it's, it, that, that's a sign that your spiritual life is not somewhere that it should be. You know, are you, are you often very critical of other people or ministries? Like I said last week, are you always throwing paint on the wedding dress, right? Are you always maligning the church, saying that we're all washed up and we're not any good? That's, that's just a bunch of bunk, right? Do you have reoccurring bouts of self-pity? Wow, that is the hardest thing. Like just the victimhood, the self-pity, that's a really hard thing to deal with in the church. It's not an easy thing to get past. Are you really anxious? Do you have a lot of anxiety in you? Are you joyless in both your life and your work? Those are signs that you need to pay attention to your soul. They, they, these things reveal that we've bowed to our desires and our idols in life and not to Jesus. Because Jesus brings joy and freedom and courage and life and words like that. So ask yourself, am I rooting my daily identity in my relationship with Jesus or increasingly in my tasks, in my relationships, even in my ministry and vision for life? As a child of God, you have to possess your possessions in this present life, not the other way around. And I mean, by possessions, I mean things, but also sort of thoughts and ideas. You have to take control of, you have to take control of these things. You have to own who you are in Jesus. You have to be a part of that relationship, in other words. 
Jesus said in Mark 1, 14 and 15, he says, the kingdom of, of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. You know, repentance and belief are said to be the two sort of uh, dynamics of the spiritual combustion engine, right? The gospel isn't just useful for the non-believer to come to know Jesus, right? To the salvation moment. That's, it's not just useful for that. It, it, it is also useful for the believer to every day know Jesus more fully for life. To grow in your depth of relationship with Him. There's always a present value of the blood of Christ in our lives, like Francis Schaeffer used to say. And by the way, repentance is not self-flagellation. It's not self-punishment. It's not beating yourself up. But rather, it's a turning away from that which robs you of, uh, of your affections towards Christ. Belief is owning what we possess already in Jesus. You're a new creation. The old is gone and new has come. So let's start a journey of joyous repentance and belief starting this week and and who we truly are in Jesus together over the next four weeks. I just challenge you, for every day this week, wake up prayerful. Wake up prayerful. Thank God for the morning. Thank God for the day, right? Let that be your first thought. And I know it's not always our first thought. Wake up prayerful and then crack the word and have a good quiet time. Just decide to start someplace and go there and start, right? And let, let a quiet time rule your day. Let it become the thing that you begin your day with. And then throughout the day, be constantly prayerful. You know, pray for the things that you, you encounter and the people that you encounter and all that kind of stuff. And then at the end of the day, do it, do it self-examine, right? Sit with the Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to speak to your heart and say, where did you see God move in your life today? Where did you see God move in the lives of somebody else today? And then pray about those things, right? If you, I, I think if you can do that, if you can do that this week, I think you're going to see some amazing things. You, you might just see your anxiety go down. You might see your courage go up. You might see... You know, a number, you might see God move in so amazing ways that we won't even be able to, you know, uh, hold back our joy, right? And that would be great. So every week we're going to end our sermon with a testimony from somebody in our crowd. St- uh, Steve Munns has volunteered to do that t- this today. Um, so I'm going to pray as he comes up. Steve is a, a, an old friend of mine who has uh, been a pastor and now he's like some big real estate mogul or some garbage like that. So, but he's a good guy, and you're going you're gonna to enjoy hearing from him. So let me pray as he comes up. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you. We love you. We want to grow up as we grow old in the faith. We want to be more and more like you. We want to grow in, in, in our intimacy with you. We want to create habits that reflect you, that draw us closer to you, and therefore make us more about you and more useful in your hands for the kingdom call that is upon our lives. And with our families, with our spouses, with our kids, with our friends, with anybody that would come across, and with the people we work with and everybody else around us, we pray, Father God, that we would start to bleed Jesus to everybody. And that that would create something of a draw to bring them into a relationship with you. 
And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Yep, sure.